Well, I want to start today with a question. I want you to think in your minds, who was your favorite teacher? Think now. My guess is each one of you will have had a favorite teacher at some point. Maybe you had someone that was so amazing at teaching that you really got the subject they were teaching. Or maybe you had someone when you felt a little insecure at school, they provided a safe space for you. Maybe you'll think about a teacher that called something out in you, where you, were, they, you knew that you could do more than you thought you could because a teacher called you out. For me, my favorite teacher was a guy named Keith Kopecky. I've never met anyone else in my life named Keith. Keith Kopecky was a biology teacher at my university. And I remember stepping into that class for the first time, my biology class, and feeling really nervous. Because one thing I was assured of, I was rubbish at science. And I had to come into science, and I was worried that I was going to barely scrape by and not get a good grade and really struggle with biology. And from, right from the beginning, I knew this. Keith Kopecky was passionate about biology. When he spoke about biology, you knew he deeply cared about it. And it didn't take long without, while I was in the class to realize that Keith not only loved biology, but he really loved his students. He really wanted his students to understand biology, not just a set of knowledge and some rules, but to really get it. And I found, as I was around Keith and as I went to class, I found that something really weird started happening. I began to enjoy biology. I started thinking about it and started getting uh, the view of what biology did and how important it was. And I found that rather than just skating by and kind of getting uh, some low grade, low mark, I found that I came out of that class with an A, and I really had studied hard and was proud of myself. But when I look back, it was all because of Keith Kopecky. He was passionate and he cared about me. And today we have this wonderful prayer from Paul. And what we know about Paul is that for the last three chapters in Ephesians, we know that he is passionate. Paul is passionate about speaking about Jesus. All Paul wants to do is tell you about Jesus. But we also see another piece, that Paul loves this church in Ephesus. He loves the Ephesians. He is praying and crying out in this verse to God that they would get it. Because Paul loves them. Paul wants them to really see it. You know, even if we look back into chapter 1 of this passage, Paul says, my goal is that they would know him better, that you would know him better, and that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Paul wants them to have knowledge and theology, but he wants them to have a spiritual experience, one where their eyes are awakened to this great story. So as we go through, we look at this passage today, we want to have those two things sit together. We want to see this knowledge, and we want to talk about this big mystery that he is revealing, this knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done. But we also want to see the second point, which is knowledge illuminated, where we are able, where the church and we are able to grasp something more than just a set of rules and theology, but our hearts would be enlightened. And the third point I'm going to make today is it's all about the glory. When our hearts and our minds come together, it's about God's glory in the land. So let's pray and start looking at this. God, I ask today that your spirit would continue to be here. I ask that you would 
engage our minds and that we would know you. But I ask for more than that. I ask that you would ignite and illuminate your scripture in our hearts. That we would grasp it in a way that would impassion us, that would have it come to light inside of us. And always, Lord, we ask that it would lead to your glory. That you would be glorified in your people and in the church. In your name, amen. So we start with this big mystery revealed. And this is language that Paul's used throughout these first three chapters. In verse 1, in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul begins this story. And he says, God, Jesus, made a mystery that has been revealed. As if to say that God has been in heaven and he's been out there. And all of a sudden in Jesus, all the mysteries, all the things that he's been about are now revealed and we can see what God has always been wanting to do. And the mystery is this, is that he wants to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. This big piece of information, this mystery, is one of unity. And Paul goes on to unpack in chapter 2 that this unity is one that is between God and man and is one between Jew and Gentile. It is unifying God and man and people together. And as we look at this wonderful prayer, from the outset we see that this is the structure that Paul is putting into this prayer. It's not just random words or it's just not of the heart. This is an exclamation point to everything he's taught us before. And we have to see this in context and know that he is unpacking this for us. So we start in verses 16 and 17 with some big words. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Right from the beginning here, we see it's about God's glorious riches as he talks about the unification of man and God. That in order to be unified, in order to know God, it's always starting with who God is, not who we are. We are separated, but God has glorious riches. He has so much wealth and grace and mercy that he wants to pour it out on his people. And the way that he does that is through the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, we know, came down at Pentecost after Jesus left. And here's the thing you need to know about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit really, really, really loves Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job, if you were to meet the Holy Spirit as a person, the Holy Spirit would be like, can I tell you about Jesus? You need to know about Jesus. Can I tell you about the work of Jesus? Can I tell you about what Jesus can do for you? Can I tell you how amazing Jesus is? The Holy Spirit is the revealer of Jesus. And out of his glorious riches, he has given us this gift of the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us. And this is how God initiated and stepped towards us. But then it also says that there is this journey of through faith. As much as God has moved towards us, we get to move towards him in a step of faith. It's not just the work of God. We get to have a choice as well. And when we encounter God and the Holy Spirit, there's a time where each one of us will have to say, Ah, I get it. Jesus, it's about you. I give you my life. Forgive me for living my own way. I come in and I ask you to be God in my life. 
And when we have these combination of the Holy Spirit and our step of faith, this beautiful thing happens in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. When God moves and we respond, we have Jesus with us. This is the message that Paul wants them to understand. Jesus is now living inside us. He's there when we go through anything in life. He is there to speak with us, to listen to us, to be present with us. We have Jesus living inside of us. And this is strength. Paul's praying that they would get this, that they would be strengthened in their inner man. When we have Jesus living in us, guess what? We are strong. Each one of us have a strength to do more than we ever thought we could, could do. Paul talks about this later in Philippians 4, 12-13. He says this, I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do, this, do all things through him who gives me strength. You see, this is wisdom that we need today. Because sometimes it's hard to feel strong on the inside. And what I've seen over and over in my own walk and in walk of people around me is that when things are going good, Jesus, we don't really maybe give him as much time. But then we get surprised when, lo and behold, life doesn't work out the way we think it will. And sometimes it causes us to be angry and frustrated with God. And sometimes it causes us to walk near God. We have a reaction. What Paul is saying to us is that get used to the roller coaster of life. It is full of ups and downs. You will have good times when you'll be feasting, and that's okay. And there will be times when you are hungry. And in those situations as well, in the good and the bad, the strength that we come from is that of Jesus living inside of us. You know, it is a powerful prayer if you're feeling good today, and you're actually feeling like, oh, it's all right. Like, I'm in a good season right now. What a great time to say, Jesus, thank you. Let me still continue, even when it seems to be working, to live for you. Let you still be number one in the good times. Some of you may come into church today, and it is, it felt like you had to scrape yourself off the ground to even come in here. Let the strength of Jesus come in and say, Jesus, I don't like my situation, but will you be strong for me now? So that's what Paul is talking about, this first thing of unity, this first beautiful picture of unity. It's God and man together, Jesus living inside of us. But there's more. In verses 18 and 19, we have this picture of us being rooted in love. Because we have Jesus inside of us, we produce love. And when we have love, we have this invitation. It says, being rooted and established in love, may we have power together with all the Lord's holy people. See, Paul is now stepping into his second great act of unity that Jesus has done, is that he's making all of us who are individuals come together. We are no longer just individuals. If we believe in Jesus, then we play our part in the church, in group, groups of people who are united. And this verse, when it talks about how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, so often we can read this and think, I want to know that. But guess what? This is not a prayer for you, the individual. This is a prayer for us, the congregation. 
What Paul is saying is that if you want to see the love of Jesus, you have to see it in connection with others. To see the full scope, the wide, expansive, growing love of Jesus can only be seen in context of others. To be able to see the wide love of Jesus that can hold all people together of every color and tongue and nation and belief to bring them together and say there's a home here. That's how wide it is and we see it in community. In community, we see how long the love of Jesus is, that our lives are not connected just here and now, but as life flows into eternity, we still get to worship together, and we are there as one body connected into eternity. How long is the love of Jesus to flow past time into eternity? How high is the love of Jesus to be able to look around and see Male and female, people from different backgrounds, all being connected up to God. To knowing and seeing how he can work in everyone's life. How high is that love? How deep is that love as well that we can encounter our own brokenness, our own failures and see Jesus lift us up out of the darkness. That we can encounter Jesus as he does that for others. No matter who, where everyone is, there is an ability to lift him up. In this place of community, we experience the love of God beyond measure. How important for us. I think in our Western world, we, we get so disconnected from this. We're always connected to this idea of a personal Jesus. God, he's personal to me. And that's good, but that's only 50% of the equation. If we really want to see Jesus and his love, if we really want to grow, we have to see that we play an integral part together. That coming here on a Sunday isn't just something that works out when it works with our schedule. This is part of our discipline. This is part of our life growing in Jesus. This is important. Your small group and those people that you have around you that you love and care for you, that's important. That's not just a side thing. That's the deal. We have to know him together and individually. This is the plan of Paul that he's showing us, this unity. And it's wonderful. But if we know this, this, we've been around church for a while, we kind of get that um, it's important that we know Jesus, and it's important that we like one another. So how come church can be boring sometimes? How come you just come in and you think, really? Was that a waste of time? Let's be real about it. Sometimes, I mean, obviously not when I'm preaching or Philip, but the sometimes, no, I'm just joking. But sometimes the truth of it is, sometimes it can feel a bit boring. It's because Paul knows that it has to be more than knowledge. It has to be knowledge illuminated. We have to get this in a way that goes beyond just our mind. We have to have our mind and our hearts connected. There's an inward journey that enlightens church, that makes it more than just a set of rules or just something that we do on Sunday because it culturally makes sense, or something more than just a nice place to connect with other people. When it's really illuminated, everything changes a bit. When we look at this verse, what Paul is talking about is he's not praying, if you realize this, what he's not praying for is as important as what he is praying for. 
What Paul's not praying for is he doesn't say, God, in light of all that you've done, will you please grow that church? Will you please have more members in the pews? In light of your work, will you please allow them to have a better building and put nice steeples up? He doesn't pray doing prayers. Paul is praying being prayers. He's saying, who can you be? And he knows that when they get this through prayer, when they get who they really are, when it's illuminated in their heart, sees it. Who they are, the doing will take care of itself. But they have to really know in their heart who they've been created to be. They've got to know it beyond knowledge in their heart. They have to feel, I'm connected with Jesus. In their heart, they have to know, I'm connected with others. For me, I can remember when this first occurred to me. I was probably about 15 years old, and at that time in my life, I had been to youth group loads of times. I had been through a lot of church services, and I would say I was a Christian. I was fine with it. It all kind of made sense to me. But there's a time where I was getting bullied, and I was not eating, and I was a bit uh, not sleeping well, and my parents noticed it. And as I was laying awake on my bed, my dad came up before he went to bed and sat down on the side of my bed, and I, I was there worrying. They said, what's going on? And I said, I'm being bullied. My dad said, well, what, can I do for you? what I can do for you now is just say a prayer. And he put his hand on my shoulder, and he prayed, let the peace of God that passes all understanding be with John. And he got up, and he left the room, and he closed the door. And as I laid on the bed, I felt peace from my feet come and fill me up. And everything changed. Because all that knowledge I had known about became personal. All of a sudden, at 15, it occurred to me, God is real. And he knows me. And he cares about me. He loves me. And that changes everything. It was all that knowledge, it had been illuminated. It's as if all that knowledge I had was just petrol, but prayer was the spark that set it alight. Some of you will have, be thinking about your time where you had God be illuminated to you. For some of you, it's okay if you're wanting that. Because there's a place of prayer where you can come and say, God, reveal yourself to me. The other thing in terms of knowledge illuminated that we have to think about is this. Paul is clear in Ephesians that he's saying, okay, this, is the, this was the calling of Jesus. Jesus came down so that people could be unified to him and to each other. And then Paul says, I had knowledge illuminated as well in the cha- uh, verses before this. He said, there was light in my life and I got it all of a sudden. My goal, my calling was to call people to unity together and to Jesus. That's my calling as well. And he goes directly from saying, this is the call of God, this is the call of Jesus, this is my calling as well, to a prayer where he says, I'm praying that you get it as well. What, Jesus, what, what Paul is doing is saying, this is your calling as well. This is the call of the church in Ephesus, and this is our calling this morning. Our calling is to be illuminated in our hearts that we know that our goal is to be connected with God and to be connected with others and to move beyond ourselves so that wherever we're posted in our work, in our day, as a mother, as a retiree, wherever you are, your calling, your purpose is to connect to Jesus and to show others that way and to connect with others and show other that way, others that way. That is the meaning of your life. 
That is Paul's prayer, that you would get it. That you would see your purpose. Pretty amazing that we have a purpose and destiny and that we can see it. And this seems quite big and quite grandiose. Even as I think about this, it's a bit overwhelming. How do I do all this? How do I encounter this? Well, luckily we have these amazing verses 20 and 21. Because what we encounter again is God. When our hearts are in line with God and we're together with others, that's good. But remember, we don't have to do it on our own. It's not about us working this out. It's about God who is immeasurable. We encounter a God who is beyond us that we can't measure, that we can't add up everything about him. A God who is so big and in charge, but so personal. He is at work in us. The work that we have to do is sustained by God. And when these pieces fall into place, this worldview that Paul is presenting, one of us connected, one of us together connected, and God at work to fulfill this, then we see the means of how we achieve it, but we see the goal as well. Paul says right here that they, in the end, the goal is this. To him be the glory in the, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That Paul is saying to him, when this stuff happens and you get it, that there is glory in the church. And the church becomes a beacon of light that draws people to it. Because it's not just us, it's the glory of God. It's God's righteousness on display for all communities to see. That's the goal of church, for his glory. And it says also, for his glory in Christ Jesus. Where has Paul put Jesus? Dwelling in our hearts. This is our goal as well, to be beacons of God's glory. This is our purpose. This is where we're meant to go. So we've talked about some big themes today, I know it. We've talked about this mystery that has been revealed for God's unity. We've talked about knowledge illuminated so that we get it in a way that is more than just head knowledge, but it's connected in to our hearts. And we've talked about where we're meant to go with this as a church and as an individual to show the glory of God in this world. I know these are big themes. So what I want to do is just take a moment and pray. Because that's what Paul was doing here. And he knows that this stuff happens not in just a knowledge way, not in just teaching or talking about it, but in a spiritual way. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a time of prayer that Mike leads, but I just want to say a prayer for us.